0: This podcast is proudly presented by Patagonia. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. It's 2023, and modern climbers are more accomplished than ever. And we don't just mean on the wall. Patagonia has always seen the value in being bold, whether it means pushing high points or having the audacity to demand more for our planet. So what's it mean to be a strong climber? full commitment to the sport and to our communities. It means not just working towards futuristic first ascents, but also a better future. And we aren't going to get there alone. For Patagonia's 50th year, we're looking forward, not back. And together, we can prioritize purpose over profit to protect this planet. Get involved, read stories to get you out there, and join a community that values what we do off the wall as much as we do on. Find out more at patagonia.com climbing. We get support from Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in fit, comfort, and working in the long term to offset CO2 emissions by teaming up with Climate Partner to invest in social and climate offset projects worldwide for select product, including their Guide and Trail climbing packs. Deuter packs are PFC-free, meaning no forever chemicals, and they honor their promised life time warranty since their packs were meant to be on your back and not in landfills so you can focus on way cooler things like puppies pocket bacon and get sandy, whether at the crag or in the alpine today we're going to talk about ali ali means come on in a way or to encourage okay we are done with the simple and normal uses of ali now let's cut to the chase LA Outdoor personal care products are made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Their rich and repairing ingredients for their skincare collection are inspired by desert landscapes and their simple and recyclable packaging makes them eco-sustainable. LA commits to protecting the open spaces that we love by partnering with the Access Fund and 1% for the Planet. That's LA Outdoor, A-L-L-E-Z. LA Outdoor, made by climbers for those who love the outdoors. Who is Otsun? More than prolific crack climbing gloves, Otsun has been making innovative gear engineered for climbing to improve your performance since 1998. Their climbing shoe designs are all original, developed and manufactured in Czech Republic, and 100% gender neutral. Beyond their sticky rubber, Otsun is renowned for their hardware, harnesses, and the biggest, lightest crash pad on the market. Find your new favorite climbing shoes and accessories at Backcountry, Moose Draw, Camp saver and Amazon this episode is about motherhood it's about being a climber and being a mom and most importantly about being human
1: so my name is Tracy Wilson I live in Carbonell, Colorado I teach um, for a high school that's very focused on like outdoors and I have the opportunity to teach ninth grade world geography and then um, I run the climbing program here at the school as well. Yeah and so many programs I think just like undersell the ability for teenagers to learn and to learn safely and to do really well so you you find a lot of high school programs that are like the carnival ride program where they don't really need to know anything except for how to tie their figure eight and everyone does everything for them and one of my colleagues actually. Actually has dubbed it the crag concierge we really want to teach them to be crag concierge into the world and be the the player that's getting the rope out and is like very efficient and ready and I think we do a really good job of that and uh, it's just, it just feels really good to be
0: able to like really propel them into like a passion this is Tracy. If you couldn't tell, she wears a lot of different hats. She's an educator and a mentor, and when she's off the clock, she's running the volunteer and educational program with Five Point Film Fest.
1: And I'm a mom. I have two kids, Ressa, who's about three and a half, and Remy, who's kind of almost three. So they are nine months apart, and that might make some people's heads spin to think of like how that's possible. But Ressa joined our family um, biologically in February of 2019. And then Remy joined her family via adoption in November of 2019.
0: Okay, I'm on son. You are listening to the Love of Climbing podcast. It's a funny sound, so uncomfortable climbing. I was like, wow, this is the opposite of my podcast, but you know, <laughs> here we go. <laughs>
1: I'm Alex Honnold, and you're listening to "For the Love of Climbing. Is it "to the" or "to"? Do you say "to" for the love of climbing podcast? I'm Alex Honnold, and you're listening to "For the Love of Climbing" podcast. Yeah, yeah, I see. It. You're listening to "For the Love of Climbing" podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well, sorta. It's a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability. Here's the show easy cheesy
0: The theory of everything at least in the natural world is that every element has an opposite or is connected to one such as water is cold and fire is hot dark and light are primordial opposites in physics it's newton's law in spirituality we have yin and yang the dark and the light and By this logic, if there are in fact good moms, then it would follow that there must also be bad moms. This system of measurement that dictates the good mom, bad mom status is fundamentally flawed. Hypernyms based on isolated actions can't be completely true because in between the black and white, there's guaranteed to be a little gray. Good moms don't yell at their kids or let them watch too much TV. They read to them at night and know how to craft the perfect PB&J. Good moms volunteer and have a clean home. Good moms breastfeed their babies. But if you buy into the system, then do you automatically lump all other non-PB&Jers into the bad mom category. This mental construct that ping-pongs back and forth between being good or bad, traps moms and parents into a place of not enoughness. When the fact of the matter is you are. So, which one is it? Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Who, me? I'm not a witch at all. I'm Dorothy Gale from Kansas.
1: I grew up as a climber, kind of, like I began all my climbing career at City Rocks and Smith Rock, because Boise was equidistant from
0: both, really. Tracy is both a climber and a mom, but as the trajectory goes, she was a climber first. And it was during her junior year of high school when she first stepped into a climbing gym. Because this was the late 90s, the gym was also in a racquetball court in the downtown Y. But the staff was friendly, Tracy loved going and she and her friends kept coming back. Eventually, when she was no older than 20, Tracy found herself working at that very same YMCA for their outdoor program.
1: Some of the climbers who were on that team at the time asked me to coach like in the USA League and we didn't have a team at that point and they really wanted to get into that competitive realm. So I was kind of a USA coach in the early days and did a lot of driving all the way through the Big Sky region to (laughs) go to comps at Bozeman or you know, wherever with a bunch of teenagers. And so it was like driving 16 and 17 year olds to comps kind of around. And it's come back like a thousand fold. Just thinking of like these early years of having young kids and wanting to keep climbing and wanting to keep climbing um, not even at like a grade level but just at a consistency level to like not let that part of me kind of die and it's all been because of alumni really i'd say like some of our younger friends who have the time and the flexibility in their life our friend wyatt who just turned 21 but he is a former student of our school and um this past summer he came on like almost a five-week trip with bj and i and our two toddlers to go to Wild Iris in Maple Canyon, and we gave him a hard time because we we're like, are you sure you wanna be with your like former teachers who are like 42, 43, and they're two toddlers when I mean, you could be with anyone else climbing? And you know, he had good points. He was like, I'm gonna eat really well, like you guys are reliable, college students are not reliable, like partners are never gonna show up for me, and I'm gonna get a lot of climbing in. BJ and him, when they get together, my husband's name's BJ, they just talk about climbing training and dork out about the recent power company podcast they've listened to or whatever. And they when Wyatt and I talk, it's all like geopolitical politics and like what articles we read recently. And it's just what a gift to have like that one secure climbing partner who we both love to climb with. Who we both trust showing up for us in that way for like that whole time. You know, we realize that that's something that because of the work that we've done at the school and how much
0: we've tried to be mentors for other people, how much that's like come back. Back in the day, before outsize acquisition of over 20 outdoor sport and lifestyle print magazines, things like selling ad space was a thing. But before Climbing Media was banished to live in the outerverse, BJ sold ad space while Tracy used to run the outdoor program for the Y. And that's how they met. And we kind of joked that it it was really a $13
1: ad that kind of brought us together because he would call the Y once a month to check in and make sure we were happy with our ad quality and then we'd start talking about climbing for the next little bit. And at one of the outdoor retailer shows we met and then he wanted to come to Boise to go to City of Rocks to go climbing. So we were kind of like a showmance that like worked out. Um, And then he proposed nine months later and we got married. Even that, I feel like, you know, that first year was definitely not without It's like trying to learn each other because we actually, during that nine months we dated, we didn't live in the same town. So I was in Boise and he was in Carbondale. But our relationship, like we climbed up in Ephraim together, like in the first like 15 months of dating or something, right? And so like those experiences of being really intimate in climbing, I think showed us a lot about the other person. Um, and I feel like we're very yin and yang in our relationship. My Instagram handle is Sally Slow Pants, and I'm always like trying to like keep up with everyone else. And BJ's like executive functioning and spreadsheets and like ability as a human to like always know where all the things are. Like he's pretty top notch.
0: <laughs> like we we complement in that way pretty well. Things between Tracy and BJ work out. They went from climbing partners to partner partners, and life was pretty good. They closed the gap between Boise and Carbondale and had over a decade of adventures together, traveling and climbing and just doing what young happy couples do when they're in love.
1: I mean, I really think I knew since I was a teenager at some point that having kids was gonna be a part of my life. Um, my dad was adopted, and so I think that, I, I guess I just didn't have that need to biologically birth a child, and I never felt that. like in all of my 20s and I kind of was open to it because you know, BJ and I, we were together for 13 years before we had kids in the mix. And I'm grateful for that because we had a lot of time together and a lot of adventures. Even through all of my 20s, I was like, well maybe that biological thing that people talk about is going to go off in me and that didn't happen. And then in my 30s, I'm like, maybe that biological thing is going to go off in me and it still never happened. And it actually never really happened. Um, But I always knew that I wanted to have kids. so. I broke my ankle in a climbing accident in like 2017, I guess, and that was really the time that I slowed down enough to like go through the adoption paperwork. Uh, And then that time I was like 37, right, so we kind of started that process and got it underway. And then when I was kind of 38-ish is when I was like, oh man, like how long is this going to take? Like I wonder if we should try to get pregnant. Um, And we did, and then Ressa came. For us, I mean, I think b- having that experience was amazing and wonderful, and kinda somewhere in my early 30s, I was kinda like, well, gosh, adoptions are the way that I wanna go, but am I gonna miss this like thing that everyone talks about, right? And I had a very wise friend of mine, Katie in Salt Lake, who just was like, you know what, at the end of it, you have a child and it doesn't matter how that child came out. After kind of having both experiences of adoption and biological, again, a thousand percent agree with that. You know, for me, that wasn't an issue that um, that carried any weight, but um, I also think for me, the blood tie emphasis that people kind of um, project on everyone is just something that i would never really connected with. Some of my closest and best friends I'm not biologically related to at all, right? And they are family to me and, um, and those bonds are, are incredibly strong. As things go, the agency that we pick is an uh, agency in Fort Collins, and they do sliding-scale adoptions, which I really think that adoption is one of those justice issues that people don't even think about. But having a lot of friends and knowing them throughout their years who have tried to conceive or who have tried to do IVF, adoption is, and just other means of trying to get pregnant, Uh, it's cost prohibitive and it's something that people don't think about. And so our agency was very small in Fort Collins, but they do sliding scale adoption. So they have varying levels. If you're a single parent or if you make this amount of money, your adoption costs will be offset by some of their fundraising efforts with getting grants. We love the fact that they allowed single parent adoptions, that they allowed same sex adoptions, because when you get into the adoption culture, you kind of realize how many are very strictly faith-based, and a lot of them have, like, really strict requirements of what they think parents can be, which we don't agree with that at all, and we didn't want to give our money to fund something that we didn't. Really, ethically, feel like we could get behind. So we kind of hung with our agency for a while, and kind of knowing that the process would take longer, right? But so we decided we want to do infant adoption, and our agency primarily uh, works with young moms in the state of Colorado, and so they are a very choice-based adoption company. And what we loved about them, as well, and what we still love about them, is that they are very pro-birth mom support, and so they have lifetime counseling for the birth moms that they work with, and the way in which they talk about them is you should talk about birth moms because it's such a, I mean, beyond a brave choice.
0: What came next, as Tracy describes, is something that a lot of adoptees will experience in their lifetime, even in cases of infant adoption. Children can experience loss and trauma, regardless of the love for and support from the adoptive family. The adoption process is both a beautiful and a bittersweet thing. And a trauma-informed system acknowledges and includes parents as key participants in the healing process. Trauma-informed care will look different than traditional parenting strategies and puts the emphasis on connection, felt safety, and regulation. Trauma-informed care is a system that works to meet all three of these needs. We found ourselves at this adoption
1: training in Denver, and we're just kind of feeling um, that of all the conversations that should be happening in the adoption realm, like that's one of the biggest, with families discussing the impact of that and the trauma surrounding that, and just are they the best people equipped at where they are in their life? Because I think it needs to be handed tenderly. I think of adoption as like a whole, and I always have that little insight with my dad, right? But I think the way in which people um, talk about adoption From when I was a kid, and I was born in 1980, right, there was this stigma kind of just about it generally. And I think that comes out of women being ashamed of getting pregnant before wedlock. And there's all these societal things that come into play, but where the shame kind of got put on was the the children.
0: Ready or not, like most, if not all, parents-to-be, Tracy and BJ embarked on a new chapter just nine months after Ressa was born. We were actually coaching climbing in Grand Junction,
1: and I had just lead-blade a student on a route, and my phone rang, and I answered it, and I was like, hi, this is Tracy. <laughs> and um, they said their name, and that they were from our agency, and I was like, oh. Uh, and then following, saying a baby boy was just born, and I said, I will call you right back, and grabbed BJ, and we went to the birthday party room. and kind of had an hour to just kind of make that decision which for us was a very quick decision to make but it was not what is like typical and so I remember texting a friend who I work with here and saying hey I saw that you posted that baby car seat on like the local swap any chance I could get it and her response was I don't think it's gonna fit Ressa it's a little too small and she was the first person that we told we were gonna adopt because I was like actually we just got our call that our son was born and we're driving to Denver And then we went and met our son. and hung out with him in the hospital, and then picked up our friend Grayson, who also was down at the time in Denver. And she hopped in our car, and we drove back to Carmdale, a family of four. And there was a funny moment at that time because I was nursing Ressa, and. Was hoping to nurse Remy, but we just needed to have court approval from that, which totally made sense, right? So we are like at a Smash Burger in Breckenridge and uh, Grayson is feeding me fries. I'm nursing Ressa. BJ's feeding Remy on the bottle. And we're all like, holy shit, this just happened. It's like, oh my gosh, this is such a crazy experience. So it wasn't until Remy was nine months old that I was like, wait, this is the age that Ressa was when Remy <laughs> joined us? Because they're just kind of baby blobs still at like nine months old, right? And so we, we really did
0: have like an infant and then a newborn. And just like that, Tracy, BJ, Remy, and Ressa are a family of four. And Ressa and Remy, as far as they're concerned, are siblings all the way.
1: Ressa will never remember anything before Remy. And they are just like best best friends which is awesome and amazing to us. And I think at first when we first had the kids, people would say like oh it's like you had twins and we never wanted to discount the people who actually had twins and we don't want to discount his adoption story. So anytime we're in the stroller at the grocery store and someone's like oh they're twins, I'm like no, actually they're not. You know, and make sure to kind of honor her story and talk about it and give it that power that it needs because it's it's amazing. Um, Yeah, but now developmentally, we very much, uh, we have two toddlers who are like toddling about. You know, Ressa will be four in February and Remy will just be three in November. And biologically, they look somewhat similar. And so oftentimes people say things that I'm like, well, I think what you meant to say by that is that they look like they could biologically be related because we always have people say, they look like siblings. And my response is, well, that's funny because they are, you know, like they are siblings, right? But um, it's interesting um, because they, (laughs) they kind of have, both of our personalities in different ways which is just Fascinating how that happens, you know, and Ressa is pretty conservative and timid and very much likes to know where all of her things are, just like her dad and is like, likes to know where she's going and the path. Will probably read all the guidebooks to detail when she gets them and Remy's like a little bit more like swing from the hips, likes to jump off stuff and figure it out and then realize not to do that again and like he's just a little bit more, I think, just kind of go for it, I think, like me.
0: There's a balancing act between being a parent and remaining a climber. Some may make it look effortless, flawless even. But more and more, we see that fourth wall crumble and moms especially are being more transparent about pregnancy and motherhood. And as the dual identity of parent and climber becomes more common, we hope stories like Tracy's won't stand out. Tracy will always be a mom, but she can also be a climber. She can hold one in each hand while we work to dismantle the notion that motherhood has to come at the price of one's identity instead of being integrated as a part of it.
1: I love climbing. I always have. And it's been a consistent part of my life. Um, And I always think I've had a good relationship with it in the fact of like maybe one of my best attributes is that I'm pretty gentle with myself. Like I don't take myself too seriously. I've been able to ebb and flow injuries and realized at one point after I like wrecked my shoulder when I was like 27, as I was climbing some 5.7 in Red Rocks, just thinking like, oh my God, I love climbing. And this 5.7 is like the most fun thing ever. And I'll be doing this for like my whole life. And when I was about six and a half months pregnant, I had like one of those awesome harnesses that went over my belly and we were in Maple Canyon. And at that point I was just top roping, but we were on a trip with students and I had like the best day cleaning all the roots. And then it was like two days later, we were back and we went to like Thompson Creek, this other local area. And I did like half a root and I was like, oh my God, I am done. Like my ligaments feel weird. Like I like don't know where I am in my body anymore. And for me, I like remember being like, okay, it was super fun. And now I'm to the point where I'm kind of like, nope, I think I'm just gonna finish my pregnancy. And you know, and I'm not a big internet researcher about things kind of anyway. I mean, that kind of is like a little bit more of the emotional intuitiveness. But you know, when you're in a moment like that, right, and this was pre pandemic, but I can only imagine how much that would have been like exacerbated post pandemic, right when you weren't seeing anyone, but there is just this desire to connect with moms or the climbing industry or any of that Yeah, the only information I could find on the internet was Beth Rodden, which is great, and it's awesome to kind of have that. I think since that time, there's been more pro-women, like Angie Payne, you know, who've been kind of telling their stories of parenthood. But there wasn't a lot of, like, guidance as far as being out there and trying to make it work. And so getting back into climbing, not only with one kid, which was kind of easier, you know, at that time, right? We had a former student, Callie, who came with us on a trip to Tensley, Wyoming, and, uh, and then also Maple Canyon that summer. So we had two great trips with Callie, and we had a third who also loved our kid and wanted to spend time with her and be with us and all of that. Then when we had Remy, it was, it was different is a very supportive partner in general, and so those times in which I was like, gosh, should I really be going out right now because I'm going to have to do these things that are difficult and, like, pump at the car or whatever, you know, he always was like, yes, you should, and gave me everything I needed to do that. And I, I think there's some mom martyrdom that's, like, inherent, but then there's just some that I think is societally put on women as well, where they, um, they want to feel like a good mom so they don't want to go out climbing all day and not be with their kids um and i get it i mean i really wanted to be with my kids i love my kids i'm a good mom and i also think that i can be a better mom and a better person if i'm filling my cup and getting outside and like doing the things that i need to do and so one pretty impactful trip was we went with Wyatt because, again, everyone needs a Wyatt. And we went to Red Rocks, got an Airbnb for like two and a half weeks. And at that point, Remy would have been like two and a half months old, like he was pretty young. And he was eating a lot. And I was nursing him and Ressa. And at the later part, BJ and I kind of realized that what works best for us is to take turns. And so at a place like Red Rock, one partner has a day, the next partner has a day, and then you just keep switching. And so Wyatt came with us. And we kind of joked that we broke Wyatt because after eight consecutive days of climbing, he finally was like, you guys, I, I, can't, I can't do it anymore. Like you're one off, one off. It's like not working for me anymore, right? But you know, the first day that we went out, here I have this monstrosity of a pump that weighs like three pounds and is the free one you get with insurance and not the best, most sophisticated technology in the world, right? And why didn't I go out climbing? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, cool. I get to go climbing. Yeah, well, we'll go to the gallery and then we'll go climb man's best friend and do this like two pitch thing, right? And came back from climbing that day, was really grateful for climbing. And you know, BJ was like, how was it? And I was like, oh, it was great. Cause I was pumping in three-hour intervals, two and a half to three hour intervals. You know, and I said, Oh, it was great, but you know, I really I don't come to red rocks to sport climb. Not to say anything against red rock sport climbing, but those canyons like fill me up when I can get high and when I can get deep and when I can get away from everything. And BJ's like, Well, you should do that then. And I was like, Well, I'm gonna have to bring my pump, and then I'm gonna have to like, I mean. Like, could I do that? And he's like, yeah, you have a battery pack. And so the next day we went and, you know, Wyatt's a really like easily approachable down to earth guy, you know, and I was like, okay, Wyatt, so I'm gonna be needing to like figure out how to pump on these roots. And and he's like, cool, I'll just bring a New Yorker. Like we would literally be at the house drinking coffee, and I'd be like, "Okay, so hold on, when am I gonna pump now? So when I'm at the base, okay, I'll have to pump the base, and then on the like sixth, seventh pitch, okay, I'm gonna have to pump. So is there a ledge? Can I pump on that ledge?" Um, where can you hang out, Wyatt? And there wasn't any stories like that. Not that I'm some like badass woman. I mean, Wyatt and I were climbing like solar slab, olive oil, like, you know, 5758s, five, five, kind of in Red Rocks, right? It wasn't that I was deeply shredding the gnar. I was just like an average climbing woman who wanted to do what I wanted to do, which was get up high on roots. It was like this whole other area of climbing that was actually really cool. I was like, this is me kind of figuring out how to make this thing that I love happen. And the way that you have to have it happen is you have to climb with this big-ass pump in your back and hook up your boobs to, like, some belay ledge and sit there for 15 minutes every two and a half, three hours to, like, make that happen. Um, and we joked that Wyatt only, I mean, I think he finished, like, one full New Yorker article in like, our whole trip, you know? We were, like, 25,000-word article or whatever, but... You know, I'd get to the top of Belay and be like, okay, Wyatt, I'm gonna pump, and he'd hang out below, and then when I was ready, I'd pull the rope up, and then we'd just, like, kinda keep going, you know? And turned a lot of heads of a lot of guys on that trip, because, they would all want to give me shit about my backpack. We like somehow never really, we didn't interact with a lot of women on that trip, which was kind of a, an interesting take, I guess, just the timing. Like you just didn't see a lot, or? Yeah, I guess like on the routes that we were at, we just didn't see a lot that trip, right? And so, you know, why did I on this, on this one, I think this was our solar slab day or whatever, because we, we're going up the, I think, the the solar slab goalie thing and someone saw us and they're like, wow, that's a big backpack for this route. And I was like, well, I have a breast pump in it because I was just like owning it. I'm like, fuck this. Like people need to like hear about this, right? And they'd look at me like sideways. Like I had three heads and that they didn't even know what I was talking about. And they'd say, there's a baby in that pack? And I'm like, no, there's not the baby in the pack. And they'd say, where's the baby? And I'm like, the baby's with their dad back at our Airbnb in like Vegas. Like, you know, there's like very lacking education about that kind of stuff in this country because we all hide away our boobs when we're nursing babies and we don't wanna like put that out there in any way, right? And then when we broke Wyatt on like day eight or whatever, my friend Sam and I went and we did a route and what we wanted to climb was this route called Sweet Thin up at the Brownstone Wall, which is like not an easy wall to get to. Um, It's a lot of hiking up there and then you're pretty way up high. And so we decided to do it. You know, the experience with Wyatt was amazing, but with Sam it was, She was like my biggest cheerleader on that trip. And I didn't want to bring a big, big pump because at that time, you know, like sweet thin isn't like the hardest route in the world, but I was actually gonna have to do some real rock climbing. Like it wasn't just like climbing with this heavy pack was something I could like do. And so I brought a hand pump. And talk about like getting pumped, like in a different way, like you're sitting there over and over and over, squeezing your fingers to your palm with this hand pump. And so at some point, I was like, Sam, my right hand is so pumped out and my left hand is so pumped out. So Sam was like squeezing my breast pump on this ledge, like the very top of like the, you know, brownstone wall. And she was like, yeah, my bigotry later. Like some guy kind of came up as that whole thing was going on. She's like, she's like, there's lots to see here. We're just pumping, no big deal. And she was like so fun and cool about it. And it was something that you need to know that that is possible because it's totally possible, you know? And it really was so good for like just everything about me, my mental health. It was like feminism in action be like, hell yeah, this is what I wanna be doing. I wanna be up here with my, my friend Sam and this is the route that we wanna do and we're gonna do it. And we're gonna carry a small little cooler pack with a little couple blocks of ice to bring our milk back with us. And like, that's just like where I was at that point in my life. And so that's what I was gonna do.
0: We're gonna take a short break, so don't go anywhere. Or we're podcasts. You can take us everywhere. Patagonia makes high performance gear for climbing. From cragging essentials like the Kaliza and Mango Rock Pants to the redesigned Nano Air Light Hybrid Hoodie that keeps you comfortable when you're working hard in cold conditions. All of Patagonia's technical climbing products are designed and tested in partnership with their ambassador team. They're made to move, built to endure, and designed to have the lightest footprint possible. And like everything Patagonia makes, they're backed by a lifetime ironclad guarantee. Visit patagonia.com slash climbing to see the latest. We get support from BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate. Kesha therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive 10% off your first month. It helps support the show and it helps support you.
1: Love Maple Canyon, um, Wyoming. I've just deeply fallen in love with the last five or six years, whether it's Sinks or Wild Iris or Tensleep. I just am like drawn to the sport climbing there and appreciate the style and the wildness and um, it's just like a great place to be. So I remember being in Mondo Biondo and like the bugs were bad and I'm like sitting against the wall nursing this like Five month old baby, or whatever, with a full bug net like over my body, you know? And I have a photo of that, and I'm like, yeah, that's where we were. Like we were carrying all the, you know, the, the play stuff up to the wall. And like, you know, BJ never wanted to just leave me out of that equation, which I think just goes to state like the quality that's in our relationship. And it just makes me love him more. And it's needing that partner to be like, yeah, I'm not going to like leave you back at camp if you want to be out climbing, which I did. And so many days when I'm like, oh, you know what, I'm just tired and I'm hungry, and maybe you just go out today. And he's like, no, just do what you need to do, and then when you're done with what you need to do, we'll go, right? Like, I think that that's, like, a really important part
0: of the equation. Historically, women have been expected to lay down their passions and tend to the family. And if you don't do it with a smile, are you even a good mom? But gender role reversal is common these days, and kids being raised in an environment of equal parenting, well, it gives us a lot of hope. But even in those moments when BJ isn't there, like when Tracy was with Sam or Wyatt or Kelly, it's remembering that as women, we can do hard things and we can continue to maintain our passions, the things that breathe life into us and make us exactly who we are.
1: Yeah, I put in a whole lot of extra work to climb the five seven route that I've done five times before a red rocks, right? Like olive oil or whatever it is, right? But like that work was so worthy and necessary to like remind me who I was. And so I think to have these stories out there where The young girls that I climb here, right, like can know that, like, that is a possible thing, right? And that is something that they can do. Um, Like, I think back to when I had the opportunity to go on this trip with one of my mentor teachers here, and I I knew that he was getting close to retiring, and it was in Georgia, kind of like a service civil rights kind of trip. And, ah, okay, should I do this? I don't know. And BJ was like, you should totally do it. This is like your number one mentor. This is a great trip. You have an amazing group of students. You were planning on doing it before Remy, like, Why, like, kind of, why can't you do it? Right. And I was like, you're right and then I went to the internet and I started searching like flying with breast milk and the only articles that were coming up were like women being like well on my 48 hour like girls night out and gosh the only thing I can find is like women being gone for two days so me being gone for 10 days is that like am my bad mom like should I not be doing this like who leaves their like three month old with their totally capable father who can handle everything and has a freezer full of breast milk like or formula or whatever you're doing right no judgment with any of that but like, I'm like, who does that? And it really, it took me calling a coworker of mine. who used to do a lot of international travel. And I was like, God, am I a bad mom? Should I do this? And I'm not that insecure, I think in my motherhood, but this was like a moment that was pretty low. And, and she was like, Yes, you should and they're gonna tell you at the airport that you can't bring your breast milk And you're gonna need to say that there's federal laws that say that you can bring as much milk as you need to as you pumped And they're gonna try to do these things you need to stand up for yourself And so I went on that trip and it was professionally so rewarding. I learned so much Um, I was able to connect with all these students to our nation's history, which is flawed and Messed up and we need to teach like the young generation and you need to be at the equal justice initiatives like grounds to experience like the visceral feelings of like the history of this country. And I did that. And again, those students who were on that trip, which actually included because he was a senior then, like they saw me go into the bathroom and pump. And then all of our Airbnb's fridge were like full with milk. And when we flew out of the, the Georgia Atlanta airport, Each of them was holding a cooler of my breast milk and I flew back with like over 250 ounces of like breast milk and they all witnessed that. And then as soon as I got back, it all went in my freezer and you know, Remy, he doesn't think I love him any less or Ressa because I wasn't there during that point.
0: This podcast is proudly presented by Patagonia. Additional support from Deuter USA, LA Outdoor, and O'Toon. Not bound by convention, Patagonia is in business to save our home planet. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. And give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Did you know that you can be a supporter of this show for less than $5 a month? We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash for the love of climbing. Here's the skinny. We can always use help keeping this podcast going. A small monthly donation helps to cover the cost of time, studio rental, travel, equipment, editing, and writing. A lot of work goes into making this show happen. We aren't exactly NPR and we don't have a huge production team or budget. And your generous support allows us to continue telling these stories. We want to keep this going for years to come. Find us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash for the love of climbing to support this podcast.